take two oh, take uh so two. we are we were about 30 minutes into this and now we're gonna have to restart again so today we are doing exercised um by daniel lieberman and daniel lieberman was the guy who did molecule of more which was one of our very first uh book summaries and recordings that we did um exercise is all about uh well it's all about why we shouldn't have to exercise which is a bit weird when you see the title um, and we were saying earlier that it's it was a big surprise because we we thought the book would be specifically around trying to convince us to exercise if that makes sense or why we should exercise. But the reality was somewhat different, and it was more sort of arguing against the necessity of exercising, but but arguing for the necessity of an active life or an act, a physically active life. Um, and yeah, it was it, like we said earlier, it was a. Uh, it was a book that took us both by surprise and I both think we really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, as we'll see, he like tries to demystify a bunch of myths that we all hold about physical activity that we evolved to engage in, you know, um, we engaged, uh, we evolved to do fitness, but actually that's not quite the case, is it? We engage, we evolved to do physical activity because of the necessities of like finding food and reproducing and um, finding shelter, all those kinds of things um, rather than, you know, now in a modern lifestyle, we've kind of solved all those problems and yet our bodies still require physical activity and hence why we go out and we engage, you know, like directly to do, you know, we go to a gym um, and run on a treadmill mm not going anywhere because our bodies still need to be able to engage in physical activity. Um, yeah. And without yeah. it, we can't, you know, maintain in good shape, etc. And obviously it causes, as we will find out later, lots of medical issues. Um, so just to read quickly here, the weirdness of treadmills as a concept encapsulates the main theme of this book. We never evolved to exercise, but what does Daniel Lieberman mean by this statement? Essentially exercise is now widely understood as a voluntary physical activity carried out to promote health and fitness. However, this understanding is relatively new. Our ancestors, who were mainly hunter-gatherers and farmers, had to engage in physical activity for hours each day to obtain sufficient food. Although they occasionally engaged in leisure activities like dancing and playing, they never engaged in running or walking several miles solely for the purpose of maintaining their health. And I thought there was a rather telling part in this book where he he spoke to um, one of the tribe members that we're going to go on to later, and I don't know whether it was the Hadza or the Tyramura. I'm going to be forever butchering the two. Yeah. Um, but it was based upon... Uh, the Born to Run book, I believe, and he was speaking to the guy who basically ran an ultra marathon with no training, and and uh, we'll talk about this later. But the guy, when he explained the whole concept of like running on a treadmill, he kind of was like, "Why would you run for no reason? Like, why would you?" Because he didn't see any reason in terms of like maintaining health. Because for them, maintaining health that isn't even a concept. They maintain their health just through the fact they're physically active each day. So to them, us running on our treadmill, not moving anywhere, it's just such a weird concept. They couldn't quite get their heads around it. And I thought that's quite interesting when you you know you've been like culturally indoctrinated when um, you know, hunter gatherer, somebody outside of your culture looks at it and goes, What the hell are they doing and why? Yeah. And it makes you question the sort of, you know, it's stuff you'd never really heard of. Like, you'd be like, Of course, of course I'm running on a treadmill. Why wouldn't I run on a treadmill? Yeah, you're yeah. going nowhere. It's like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm not doing I'm not actually going anywhere. Oh, I'm trying to maintain my health. But why are you trying to maintain your health? Because, oh, wait, yeah, because I don't actually get enough activity in through, you know, my lifestyle. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I think what you said just there that there's no um, why would you do it for no reason? And mm-hmm. you know, when you look at these hunter gatherers, when they engage in physical activity, most of the time, like we said, it's about going out to get food. Okay, so that's their reason. That's their necessity. Now we don't have to do that in a modern lifestyle. But when they engage in other kinds of physical activity outside of the kind of meeting the necessities, there's an other there's another reason. It's either it's like it's fun. It's like it's dance. Right. And it ha- or it has like a spiritual meaning to it. And so there are these added benefit added levels, which we kind of don't engage with so much because we're not even meeting the necessity of like he- doing engaging in physical activity for health wise because we don't live as of an active lifestyle. Right. And so yeah. almost that needs to be our first benchmark. And then if we're also meeting that, then, OK, we like engage in other kind of stuff as well. But um, I just thought that was quite interesting. It's like, you know, yeah, I was going to add, I think it's quite interesting, this idea of medicalization that we'll talk about later, where, you know, everything's kind of been prescribed a sort of dosage to help health because we do studies based on health. All right. And then we end up with these like dosage requirements, such as 10,000 steps a day you know, five fruit and veg. I know it's slightly not related to the exercise stuff, but it's the same idea. It's like we've been now given like an average dose by like a medical society or research group that's basically decided, you know, this is how much you should be having. Um, And that's kind of framed our discussion around things. Um, You know, they don't have these random 10,000 steps a day in their mind. You know, these, these tribes are just out there just trying to catch, you know, catch catch food get their water etc and for them they don't see any other need to be physically active other than the you know the necessities of living their lives whereas obviously we have a more sedentary life um and we've realized that actually the sedentary life is causing health problems and therefore it's been medicalized and we've now got dosages to hit and that's kind of what we see it as these days you know it's yeah you can even argue you know most time you go you said earlier you're on a on a like um the stepping machine you're like above everybody looking down at people running on treadmills going nowhere not many yeah. of them are very happy or look very happy <laughs> yeah. on treadmills, you know um yeah and i, I have to say I, I i don't remember i personally enjoy it because i and i know you do the same where you set yourself goals and targets to beat so you know when you're on a treadmill you're trying to beat your previous best and i find it quite rewarding in that sense but you know the actual doing of the running like the actual running on the treadmill isn't exactly yeah. a fun activity to no. do it's not exactly no. enjoyable um yeah that's part, it's, of, it's... part of his thesis in this book is like we haven't evolved to enjoy exercise like it was just something that we already did through our active lifestyles and therefore we didn't actually have a need we sorry, sorry we don't need to exercise or we didn't have a need to exercise we have yeah. a need to be physically active and it's a difference um, yeah and, and that's what I was like, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that's what I was kind of getting at with the whole reasons why hunter gatherers engage in physical yeah. activity above and beyond their like basic day to day, right? And it's because there's that other reason to like you know of either doing something for fun or because of a spiritual reason or tradition. That's why they engage in it. But otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't, right? They they wouldn't. Why would they uh, unnecessarily expend calories? Yes, um, yeah. I, to be fair, I love right? that framework. And we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get onto that later. Yeah. But like, you know, why would they do that? The only reason they would do that is for another reason, a, a, another layer, and that's either being fun I mean, or traditional. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's no other bigger reason than survival. First and first, like yeah, first and foremost, exactly. right? And then it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I would say you know he does talk a lot about how they have like you know like you said rituals and like parties, play, dancing, etc. But I bet you they didn't do the dancing stuff 
after a big day of running around trying to yeah. catch yeah, prey. Not, it's more yeah. something they do on maybe the more sedentary days, yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I think, anyway, I think yeah. uh, just, just on that point, like, you know, I think we've got to this kind of reductionist medicalization of, um, of exercise because as we have evolved as a society and our day-to-day activities have or are the level of activity that we engage in on a daily basis has dwindled. We've had to literally focus in and narrow in on, okay, well, what level of physical activity do I need to stay healthy? And it's almost forced us to this kind of like reductionist point, you know, these, by, by solving all these problems, by, you know, you can get your food delivered. You don't have to go out and catch it yourself, you know? Mm. And it's just interesting that we're now at I mean, this water is a big one too in my head as well. Water's huge. You know, yeah. Think about it. You, you would have to in the past find flowing water, right? Like, cause yeah. obviously everybody, or at least this is, this is another myth that could be busted by folks. Stagnant water is a chance of obviously being bad. Cause obviously it's had time yeah, no, it to, is. um, to like fester and grow bacteria, et cetera. Right. Um, so, you know, days would be, you know, you'd be doing daily treks to, f- to fetch water. Right. And you, you probably have buckets and stuff, but then you'd have to carry the buckets back to your tribe. Right. So there was plenty of opportunities for, walking long distances you know being active carrying weight yeah. putting load for your body um and I, yeah is it, is it this book i think he does talk about it late in late on about like osteoporosis and stuff like with bone mm-hmm. bone issues to do with like you know not putting enough load for your legs and how there's been myths around actually putting too much load is a problem but it's not actually the issue um yeah. you know yeah um but yeah we'll get on to that so we did say this on the, the last time we recorded this, yeah. but Lieberman takes a different approach to the way he looks at these uh, health studies. So many of the current studies are epidemiological, God damn it, I hate that word, meaning they investigate correlations between health and physical activity in large groups of individuals. For example, hundreds of studies have explored connections between heart disease, exercise habits, and factors such as age, gender, and income. It's crucial to note that these analyses only reveal correlations and not causation. However, Lieberman utilizes evolutionary and anthropological viewpoints to challenge and reconsider numerous of the myths that we have regarding physical inactivity, activity and exercise, as well as trying to answer the following questions. So are humans naturally inclined to exercise? Is sitting as harmful as smoking? Does poor posture lead to health problems? I thought that was a really interesting one as well mm-hmm. because um, he debunks a few things on that. So is eight hours of sleep a necessity? Are humans relatively slow and weak? Does walking fail to aid in weight loss? Does running uh, running damage your knees? Is it normal to exercise less as we age? And what is the best method to persuade people to exercise? Oh, sorry. And the last one, is there an ideal form and amount of exercises? Um and yeah, like we said earlier, pretty much most chapters try and answer one or two of these questions. Yeah. Yeah, um, and absolutely. by the end of this podcast, you should have an answer to all these. Um, so yeah, we'll jump straight into the chapter one, which is, are we born to rest or run? With the myth number one being debunked is, we evolved to exercise. Um, and this book talks about the idea of this like natural human. So we got I got here this note about the John Jacks Rousseau's you know, savage. I think a lot of people use this, or the sorry, left-leaning like political people lean on this a lot. Where this idea that the sort of natural human is untainted by, mm. um, you know, culture, naturally kind, um, outgoing, etc. Like the the perfect human, sorry, is the more natural human, right? And you were saying earlier that sort of logic. Sometimes you use like, yeah, yeah. what would somebody in the past be doing now? Um, and 
albeit that gets you so far, but it's as later on we'll discover that the, the, the uh, natural human is also quite a violent human as well. Like it has yes. the best of both worlds. It has a bit of violence and obviously cooperation. It's, it's the yin and yang. It's the good and evil within us all. Yeah. Um, and then he takes this one step further and calls it, um, oh, sorry, Lieberman calls it the athletic savage. And it's this myth that, um, you know, uh, people who live in more tribal environments or tri- uh, hunter-gatherers, people who live in hunter-gathering society right now are extremely athletic uh, in comparison to us. And actually that is the natural state we are meant to be. We are now all weak because of our sedentary lifestyles and that all these, you know, hunter-gatherers who are living in, 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 you know, remote areas are com- like the complete athlete package and, you know, would put us all to shame. Um, and, what he mentioned as well is a lot of the uh, the the popularity of the book Born to Run around uh, where basically a bunch of hunter gatherers can run the length of two marathons, you know, off the back of not exercising or training for it. Whereas obviously in this day and age, when people run a marathon, let alone you know back to back marathons, they spend months training for these events. These <laughs> yeah. guys could just do it, you know, on on a yeah. whim. Um, and and it basically what it's done is it's, it's put this like idea in the public consciousness of the fact that these people who live in in nature or live a more natural life, so to speak, are incredible athletes. Um, And as we'll find out later as well, so not just, I just want to add it now because I thought it was really interesting. uh, We also thought they'd be stronger as well. And it turns out they're not, which is really interesting. Um, But yeah, so yeah, that was the point of this chapter. No, exactly. And I think, you know, like you were saying, I use that kind of, logical reasoning to guide some of my actions because i have this perception of how a hunter-gatherer would have acted and i think i'm fully aware of like you know that our you know our our western civilization offers a lot but it also isn't always great and so sometimes i try to kind of eradicate that so try and thinking about like well how would i have acted if blah blah but i think if my perception isn't calibrated or it or it isn't updated then i'm essentially using you know the wrong guide you know um and i think it's just quite interesting some of the things that he like brings up um about you know like you said previously when we weren't recording this you know that like (laughs) we have this idea that chimps uh were like 10 times stronger than they actually are you know that they could rip a man's arm off and that's not the case or that you know neanderthals used to be like really um really strong and like brutish and that really isn't the case either and it's it's these having a more updated perception of how these people would have acted i think helps us and that's kind of what he does throughout this book um and like you I, said, I, you know, I want to add on that one point. Here. Yeah. So, no, sorry, continue one second. I was going to go out all about the bears. Cause you know how like Americans think they can beat up bears and the fact that bears oh, are like, three times the speed. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that stuff. I've not told you about the study where they asked oh like God, uh, Americans, like what you could beat in a fight. And they just obviously just thought they could all beat up loads of different animals that they can like, they thought they, like bear. nine, yeah, 9% of them thought they could. And also by the way, this is beat up like with like bare hands. So it's not even like yeah. with a weapon. It's like they could bear and we're all a bear. Oh my God. And, and then, sorry, the only reason I'm saying that is because obviously there's, there's things this book does, which debunks the strengths of like chimps yeah. or whatever. But what I found really interesting, I sent it to you, remember it was the speed of animals compared to humans. Yeah. And a bear yeah. is like, like double the speed of Usain Bolt. And you just look at it, you go, yeah oh, jesus <laughs> you, like if you think you can run away from that thing you are yeah mistaken absolutely no no um, way no sorry way. But you're you're in a trailer thought there and i've, I've just no, I was, yeah it's it's, it's valid no but i was 
Um, no, I was just going to touch on that point that you were talking about, about how, so yeah, da- Daniel Liebman basically went to one of these uh, hunter-gatherer tribes. I think it was the Hatsa, and they were doing this kind of spiritual um, event where two groups of people had to run and kick a ball, and they had to go back and forth. I can't remember how long the distance was, but overall it ended up being like 70 miles, yeah. over 24 hours. And you're right, like people will look at that and be like, oh, you know, they were just, they, they woke up and they could just do that. And, you know, they they just evolved to be like that. And we've kind of, so we should be able to do that. But the fact is it neglects the fact that, you know, every day they're doing about 10 miles of physical activity to be able to reach the necessities um, and tick off, you know, the fact that they went and got food today or they went and got water. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I think that's very important. I think it was good that he kind of started with that because it changes. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I I do think it was the Ta- Tara Humara tribe because I got this note no, here. So, so I, no, I, only because this note here wouldn't make sense otherwise. So it's how do some Tara Humara manage to run several back-to-back marathons without training while Iron yeah. Man practice and prepare obsessively for years to accomplish similar feats of endurance? While it's true that the Tarahomora and other non-industrial people don't follow a structured ex- uh, exercise routine, they do, however, engage in hours of physical labor every day as part of their daily existence. They walk, may, uh, sorry, they walk many miles on rugged terrain and perform manual tasks like plowing, digging, and carrying since they lack modern labor-saving devices. When researchers attached ex- accelerometers to over 20 Tarahomora men, they found that they walked on average 10 miles per day. Therefore, that training enables them to run back-to-back marathons. Um, yeah, I mean, but it kind yeah. of makes sense, doesn't it? Like you're building up this like workload where, if you're working, if you're walking, sorry, roughly, you know, ten miles a day, and I, I bet some of that's maybe in light jog as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. You're building up some level of resistance to your body or like endurance within your body. And I, I can't remember later on if they got into the the uh, fiber density of these tribe people. I don't, I don't know if they were allowed to do that. And I don't think they did, but you know how they do like biopsies these days where they yeah, like, yeah, take yeah. the, yeah. you know, samples of people's like legs and they work out how much percentage is slow twitch and uh, fast twitch. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, obviously if they put so much demand be. through the endurance, I would just, you would assume they would have a lot of uh, slow twitch fibers or be predominantly slow twitch. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, that is, that is really interesting. And I remember like, so what we were talking about um, prior to recording was that, you know, realistically, if you're, you know, somewhat active, you could run a marathon. Like I'm not training to run a marathon at the moment, but I probably could do it. It's just, it wouldn't be a good time. And I was kind of emphasizing the point that, you know, when these, when, when this tribe, when they ran back and forth over 70 miles, they weren't trying to beat some new world record. You know, they weren't trying to get it within a certain time. There were, there was a competition between two groups, but they weren't trying to reach a certain time. And I think that's something that people need to take into consideration. Like you, you are physically evolved unless you're not very active to be able to do it. It's just, you wouldn't be able to do it in like a very quick time which a lot of the time yeah. when we engage in physical activity today they always have to be a benchmark that we hit but actually that doesn't need to be the case but um yeah yeah i i do i do think there is a level of you know i think we probably would be able to complete a marathon if you sort of for example walked it um I w- i'm not going to say it would be very comfortable i think most people especially no, it live it a very very sedentary yeah. life it would be very uncomfortable um and I guess, I guess part of the reason why these guys can do it as well is one, you know, there's a spiritual reason of doing it for like, a, I, I believe it's like some sort of yeah, spiritual event they did once a year or something like that. Um, yeah. 
Well, I guess obviously the workload they do every day probably makes it more bearable for them. I would assume they, you know, they probably do feel pretty sore afterwards, but they won't be feeling the level yeah. of soreness if you know you you've never been doing ten miles a day for, you know, three six five days a year. You know, exactly. Like, yeah, they yeah. build up an extensive amount of mileage under their legs, so I can imagine for them it's you know, it is intense, but it's just it, it's like a small drop of what they do yearly. So, um, yeah. I just thought that was a really interesting uh, difference. And in this next bit, you got about the analyzing the Hadger. So I believe this is the one as well. He went to, um, and if I remember correctly, the whole point of this was that they, they actually don't, or they live a more sedentary life than we thought. So like we have yeah. this idea of the mythical, like sort of savage, like we're saying. So we're kind of arguing two things here. We're saying they do more physical activity, which they do, but at the same time, they also are more sedentary than we think. We think they were always constantly doing stuff, you know, um, always walking somewhere, which I mean, obviously they walk more, but there is parts of their day where they just relax. Right. And it was quite an interesting idea because sometimes when I do think as well of this, this idea of the savage, they're like constantly on the move, never stopping, you know, these unbeatable, you know, machines that never stop. But the reality is actually they spend a lot of their time, you know, he said doing the classic human sitting, gossiping, you know, um, chatting that sort of thing. And I think what's really important to note and what I was like fascinated and I almost want to start doing this is that when they are sedentary, they are still somewhat active. So he was talking about how a lot of them will basically squat, right? Or they'll be engaging in certain muscles even when they're sat down. So they're not like slouched over. And I thought that was fascinating. The idea that like, you know, they're still, um, they're still somewhat active even when they're sedentary compared, uh, compared to, uh, you know, western man um yeah yeah i almost want to start like you know instead of sitting down just squatting all the time just stop, stop doing it when you yeah. take go to the loo mate Squat. yeah yeah just <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah so the japanese do that or something um yeah so yeah sorry i'm gonna quickly read this note here as well so yeah. in one yeah. study 46 hadja or hadza adults wore heart rate monitors for several days and the results showed that they spent an average of three hours and 40 minutes a day engaged in light activities and two hours and 40 minutes a day in moderate or vigorous activities although they're about 12 times more active than the average american and european their workload cannot be described as strenuous, which I thought was quite interesting as well. So mm. like they never really are, you know, doing that hardcore sort of, I, you could even possibly argue that when, you know, Westerners or the more mo- modern uh, industrialized societies do exercise, they probably are more uh, strenuous than what these guys are putting themselves through because we are, yeah. we are like the goal almost is to be strenuous, right? Cause we're trying to like fit a lot of activity within a small time frame because that's all we have time for right so the intensity tends to be higher um which i thought was interesting yeah absolutely um and then these this next note as well about this physical uh physical activity levels across humanity so i i never come across this pal uh this pal framework or have yeah yeah no no i I don't think i have like i've i've i don't think i've ever heard of it as like pal you know pal like okay. the, the acronym yeah. i think i've just i know the concept but okay yeah. so do you want to read it or do you want me to read yeah, it? yeah 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 so um assuming uh that what hunter gatherers do is evolutionary normal comprehensive studies of con- uh, contemporary foraging populations from africa asia and the americas suggest that a typical human workday used 
used to last about seven hours. This workday consisted mostly of light activities with at most an hour of vigorous activities. Although there is variation from group to group and season to season, most hunter-gatherers engage in moderate levels of physical effort, some of which is done while sitting. How is di how different is this normal level of physical activity from that of post-industrial people, such as farmers like the Tarahumara, fact uh, factory workers, and others whose lives have been transformed by civilization, including me and possibly you? Um, so the PAL, so the PAL, or physical activity level, is determined by dividing the energy you expend during a 24-hour period by the amount of energy needed to maintain your body if you were in bed all day. This measurement is not influenced by differences in body size, making it impartial. Um, which is quite, I, I think that's quite quite interesting and how they like apply it so yeah hunter gatherers typically have pals of 1.9 for men and 1.8 for women slightly lower than subsistence farmers whose pals average 2.1 for men and 1.9 for women to provide perspective the powers of hunter gatherers is similar to those of factory workers and farmers in the developed world um, and about 15 percent higher than powers of individual individuals with sedentary desk jobs in developed countries thus the physical activity levels of typical hunter gatherers are comparable to those of americans or europeans it's actually really interesting 15 percent is quite a lot it's more than i thought because when yeah. i first read this obviously you see the 1.9 you see the 1.6 you're like oh 0 0.3 yeah. difference but obviously now yeah, yeah, that yeah. Respect, it's actually quite a lot different like now looking at it, i'm like ah, okay now i understand why it's a bigger deal than i thought when i first yeah. read it because like, when i first read that i was like oh, what's the deal? It's almost the same. But the reality yeah. is, obviously, it's, it's not quite... It's um, No, exactly. Quite the same. Um, it is worth noting that most wild mammals have pals of 3.3 or higher, which is almost twice as high as that of hunter-gatherers. Therefore, humans who, most, um, who must forage and gather their food and create all their possessions by hand are significantly less active than the average free-ranging mammal. Um, I, I love that point. I thought it was crazy to think yeah. that all animals burn like, you know, almost double. And it kind of reiterates this point that actually we're, we're like uh, energy misers. Like we don't actually like expending energy. Uh, we're like very yeah, uh, efficient with our energy expenditures uh, in comparison. There's plenty of adaptions we have uh, that have allowed us to be like, have great endurance, such as I didn't realize that we, we will talk about it later, but about the sweat glands. I don't know if you found that interesting too. Yeah. About yeah how yeah, animals yeah. don't actually sweat or they don't have as many sweat glands. And most animals uh, reduce heat through their like panting and their tongues. And then, yeah. and then they can't run a certain pace because then they can't pant and therefore they can't reduce heat. And that's why they can't do endurance. So I was like, that's absolutely crazy. I didn't realize that. Like, and then I was really? like, I've never yeah, picked no. up a sweaty, I was like, I never picked up a sweaty dog. And I was like, that's a good point. Yeah. I've seen dogs run around, I never picked up a sweaty one. Um, and they're oily yeah. if they do sweat yeah no it's it's yeah. it's it, it is really interesting and i think like we just th think about it now you can draw parallels that we've been talking about it for weeks with habits right but how we like are misers with cognitive energy we're exactly the same with expending any kind of energy um whether that be physical yeah. as well this just goes to show you right as in like we have kind of evolved to be able to hold on to preserve calories or energy until we really need it um and we're not motivated to just throw it away because that wouldn't be wise let's just put it that way yeah, yeah um yeah so in conclusion 
I believe two generalizations can be made about human exercise. Firstly, while sports have been popular among young people throughout history, non-sport related exercise was not common until recent times. Secondly, with modern advancements in technology and changes in uh, society, physical activity is no longer as necessary for people in industrialized societies. As a result, many experts have become increasingly concerned about the lack of physical activity among the general population. Um, yeah i I just think this whole myth the first myth that's just been debunked which is like being born to exercise or evolved to exercise is just like getting the the classic getting the definitions wrong like we have evolved to exercise in the sense we've evolved to move and that's basically the point here we have evolved to be physically active um we haven't and that's the difference physical activity yeah exactly that yeah right Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we confuse the two but exercise i guess is like what you're saying is like voluntary physical activity so basically his point is we haven't evolved to want to do physical activity like absolutely it's it's something that is it was involuntary physical activity that we evolved to to do yeah um and i I think for all animals right as well like he kind of makes that point it's like all animals like you never see at <laughs> least i can't remember if you made a good point but like saying like you never see horses just running laps just trying to get fit you know you don't see any other animal trying to you know uh be physically active for no reason there's always like a like these a bears working them. out to beat up yeah, these americans yeah no it's so true because like you know the main problem right is that they need to be able to survive to reproduce that is what we are we are programmed to do if you tick off those boxes then you can go to the next stages but until you can do that then self-actualization yeah, <laughs> exactly and i was actually thinking about this like it is it is interesting because i wonder whether and this might sound just incredibly ignorant but you know whether hunter gatherers could almost get to that point because they would have to um direct a lot of their energy to solving problems which would occur every day right like finding water finding food um i was just thinking about that earlier on but on this note i think people can interpret hunter-gatherer kind of lifestyle um activity as they want to do that you know they they want to go and run they go for a run even though it's like Mm. you know it's incorrect and so they think that they have the motivation to just be able to or they've evolved to have the motivation to just go to the gym and do it when that doesn't doesn't really work like that yeah yeah i think that's i was even going to say something like you could almost argue just by the fact we've created the tools to reduce the workload. So the idea of creating tools to farm, I mean, I'll bet you can say maybe you, they did it so they could feed more people, but maybe you could also argue they did it so there'd be less work on the farm. That in my head shows the motivation to not want to do the exercise. Like we've, we've actually <laughs> yeah. throughout history, just basically looked at everything that takes effort to do and gone, how can we <laughs> reduce the easier. effort? You know, washing machines, everything, you know, everything yeah. involves, you know, throwing stuff in a tub, pressing a button now instead of, you know, actually hand washing stuff. So, like, yeah. you could even argue that there is a massive, like, you know, motive within us that, you know, we want to we want to avoid expending this energy so much that's built into us so much that that's why we've created all these solutions to the uh, yeah. And then it's all come full circle to us. We've realized, oh, shit, we've done all these changes and now we're worse off for it. And we need to, you know, need to actually be active. Um, no, it, uh, that's really interesting because like think about i'm just thinking about habits here you know what's the main thing that you need to change well the ability the ease of ability right yeah. if you can make something as easy as possible and that's literally how we just view everything it's like how can i make this easier i don't want to expend well, that's, more that's energy than necessary 
how most inventions have happened you know most most things we take for granted like even even like the, a cup is technically an invention to make it easier to drink water yeah you know or well, to carry water agriculture to like has come to about. consume obviously you'd be like yeah. a dog wouldn't you like every time you'd be like in a puddle like trying to lick up the water um, <laughs> and that's funny because their tongues are literally built obviously to have you seen it they scoop it they scoop yeah, 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 yeah like a bowl yeah. um like we we literally don't have that ability so that just shows over time we've obviously had to drink from some form of like something where we can just put it straight in the mouth right it's yeah, just quite an interesting yeah. idea that you know um yeah, yeah fascinating so that that was the, uh, <laughs> the first chapter uh running and then we got chapter yep. two so in inactivity and the importance of being lazy so myth number two it is unnatural to be indolent and i thought i mean just unnatural to be lazy i thought that was a pretty pretentious way of saying it i mean does indolent even mean that i assume it does Indolent. Yeah, there'll probably be a slight uh, variation. Wanting to, oh no, yeah, it is. Yeah, so wanting to avoid activity uh, brackets lazy. Yeah, okay. Um, and yeah, so this this is interesting because what we were basically just saying there is we've you know at the end of that chapter we were just talking about how we've obviously invented a load of things to reduce effort. So almost by proxy, we are saying you know we've we're trying to design our lives so we can be more lazy. Um, yeah, and and it's quite interesting because once again this. Uh, the core idea of this like athletic savage comes back again. This like, you know, we were born to, you know, like we said before, be so physically fit. We could run marathons. You know, we were born to be so motivated that we just want to like, you know, run around like crazy people all the time. Well, not want to, but you know, like it was part of like the human drive, you know, is to, to move yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that, where this is kind of saying, actually we, we evolved to be like we were saying earlier, lazy or trying to save as much energy as possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sure. let's start with the uh, chimpanzees. So when chimpanzees travel on the forest floor, it can be a challenge to keep up with them, but they spend most of their day either feeding or digesting. Chimpanzees typically devote about half their waking hours to filling their stomachs with highly fibrous food. And for much of the rest of the day, they rest, digest, groom each other and take long naps. On an average day, they climb only about 100 meters and walk just two to three miles. To be sure, chimpanzees are highly social animals and they occasionally fight, copulate and do other exciting things. But most of the time, our closest eight relatives are sluggards that live a, a life in a sort of perpetual Sabbath. I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, yeah. Obviously, as they're the most genetically, uh, what's the word? Similar. Common, the, the most genetically similar animal in the animal kingdom and how they yeah, live a lot. It sounds like their life, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want to know something crazy that I found out at uni? That we are close, closer related to chimpanzees than chimpanzees are related to gorillas. Oh, really? How that's weird crazy. is that? That's crazy. That is that's, crazy. That's nuts, right? Like that just blew yeah, my yeah. mind when I read that. Um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I think I'm going to have to get onto the, some of the the gene books because I there's a lot of talk I think in the sports gene which we're going to review next where he goes a lot yeah, into yeah. genetics and I for me it still goes over my head because I don't really get how it all works. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, so compared to most ma- mammals, including humans, a mile of walking requires more than twice the energy for a typical pans- uh, chimpanzee. Since walking is so expensive in terms of calories, apes are naturally driven to use as little energy as possible while moving around the forest, allowing them to allocate more to reproduction. Therefore, apes evolved yeah. to be adapted to a sedentary lifestyle. And I thought this was quite interesting. And I think we will go on in a minute to this sort of idea about the, you know, um, calorie trade-off and how your body can only use the ca- one calorie once right so it has to be mm. careful what it selects for you to do um because obviously there's not an infinite it, supply of calories apart from the modern society where there is um yeah 
No, but it, that's that's a good point. And I thought what was interesting about this um, chapter is that he kind of touched on, you know, obviously how your environment affects how you evolve. Right. So when he was talking about chimpanzees, he was saying that, you know, they have fruits and they have vegetables that they kind of eat, but it's actually pretty close. They don't need to go that far. And so hence why they've evolved to be like more sedentary. And then well, what, I assume you know, they, they do have energy. I assume they create like but, areas of like, you know, like areas where they live. I, I'm trying to think of like um, there's a word for like territory, right? They create their own territories yeah. based upon probably these things. And they probably don't ever, you know, move from these territories, whereas humans are like, seem to be not necessarily but seem to be more natural like explorers like they move well if that makes sense ex- it, yeah and like because you know naturally um environments change like think about the ice age and all that kind of thing you know you would have had to evolve to try and find food elsewhere and so you know you'd evolve certain mechanisms such as being able to walk and not expend as much energy as for instance chimpanzees to be able to find food and i thought that was just quite interesting because it shows you how you know how our environment shapes us um yeah so on to this point so hunter gatherers like the hatzer while not engaging in intense physical labor and off, uh, and often being inactive for several hours during the day are still more active than apes who make them seem like workaholics this is particularly interesting as humans evolved from ape-like ancestors, similar to chimpanzees and gorillas, which implies that it is the modern sedentary lifestyle of humans that is uh, th- that is an anomaly. The discovery poses several questions about why non-industrial humans are less active than wild apes, despite being relatively more active. However, before answering this question, it is necessary to examine what happens in our bodies and how much energy we expend while at rest, which requires laboratory investigations. So we could go into the details of this, how this uh, energy expenditure works here. But I think the main takeaway here, which I got from this, is that our sort of default metabolic rate, so like the the amount of energy we burn without actually doing any activity is so high that even if we do loads of activity, it's still more. So like maintaining our body is more costly than any activity we could possibly do, which I thought was so yeah. interesting because that, that's mad to think that just, just keeping us like glued together requires more energy than anything we could possibly do yeah, act- yeah, activity yeah. wise. Yeah. Um, because we, we think of like doing, you know, things, directly right like moving and everything like that but we forget about all the systems that are and all the processes that are going on in our body just to keep us awake and digesting and all these things and i thought what was really interesting about um this point was that he was talking about so you have basal metabolic rate and that's what the amount of calories you burn while you're asleep so you know while you're literally doing absolutely nothing but so you burn a certain amount and your body has an optimal amount that it goes for but if you are like starving or you haven't eaten, then it will reduce some of the processes it does while you're sleeping yes. to just what it needs. Right. But really what it wants to do is it wants to have an optimal amount. But it was just so interesting to say that, see that, you know, there is an, uh, there is um, a certain amount of calories that we need to burn because there are certain processes that are processes that are so important while we sleep, but it would be ideal if we could burn a bit more just to have the optimal amount, right? So that all processes are functioning properly. Um, and I thought yeah. that was really interesting because then that explains why, you know, we want to be sentry during during the day because we want to be able to save some of those processes, uh, some of those calories for when we process it. At yeah, night. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting. Really interesting. We'll, we'll go straight on to this, um, this uh, study on starvation. So if I remember it correctly from the book, it was something to do with, um starvation post world war one or it might have been world war two 
I can't do you, can you remember exactly two, which one it was? I think. Yeah, because um, I think it was um, to do with Stalin, wasn't it? Yeah, so I say after. Yeah, so basically yeah, so a bunch of people who, of who were starving. Too. Yeah, they they um they agreed to basically starve themselves for a certain amount of time, right? And then they were getting all these sort of body measures done during this period of time. So the individuals who volunteered for a scientific study in which they starved themselves were able to survive because of their body's capacity to adapt by utilizing less energy, even when at rest. Over the course of 24 weeks, the volunteers' resting and basal metabolic rates dropped by 40%, a transformation that was not easily observable. So you said that's just absolutely crazy. Your body can just drop itself by 40%. 40 percent like that's fucking yeah. crazy right yeah, yeah um so so basically the point here is uh the essential takeaway from this experiment is that the human resting metabolisms are adaptable Re- resting metabolism represents the amount the body spends on maintenance rather than what it is required to spend one of the primary ways in which the volunteers reduced their energy expenditure was by cutting back on maintenance processes that help maintain the body's balance. So their heart rates dropped by one third and their body temperatures decreased from their normal 98.6 Fahrenheit to 95.8, making them feel constantly cold, even in rooms when they were adequately heated. I thought that's quite an interesting point because yeah. um, I do think I made the notes later, but it's we did I did touch on it a minute ago, which is the idea that you only get each calorie once and your body has to choose where to send it. And therefore yeah. it will prioritize based upon what it sees the need for and stuff like, like you're saying here, like your body temperature, if it thinks it can survive, cause maybe it's, it knows the outside temperature isn't actually that cold and you're not, um, you're not in a freezing environment, right? It will just drop your body temperature. Cause it's like, okay, fine. You can survive in it. So we won't spend yeah. those calories on this. We'll spend it on something which is keeping you alive. And I just thought that's so fascinating that your body has these like, you know, decision procedures in it i don't know what how it decides but it's just it's just crazy to think that that's that's going on at all times like a you know yeah like a a decision making matrix something's going on to be like okay right where's this going where's this going where's this going and like it makes sense because your cells technically when oxygen comes in it's like okay we give it to the the blood red blood cells right you know it's stuff's always going on like this is going there this is going there it's just like how does it decide it's it's kind of crazy and i I, on that note like i remember so i was watching i watched that um was it Chris Hemsworth's documentary or something about it's called limitless. I think it was about him getting older and basically like, you know, different areas of fitness that he needs to focus on. Anyway, one of them he was doing, like he was fasting and by like the idea is that by like day four or five, think about like, you know, your, your body has a certain amount of calories. And like you just said, it needs to distribute it accordingly. And apparently by like day four or five, suddenly you have really heightened senses. You suddenly feel like quite strong. And the idea is that like, you know, if you were going out, if you hadn't eaten for a while and you need food, then your body is almost distributing it towards the mechanisms in, that are responsible for finding food. Right. So being really alert, being able what to. What like, makes you, you know, super aggressive, like reduces your prefrontal cortex and channels. All I, that I, energy I, I, and it's I, like, you know, you know, like it's why why people become cannibals, you know, on remote islands is because they they suddenly <laughs> lose all prefrontal cortex control. They go super like Hulk mode. They just like start trying to pull off each other's limbs you like, know? it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they were like actually engaging in battle in that one period because but then you'd be fucking exhausted afterwards you wouldn't be able and that's the thing is like a lot of the time when people fast sense. you have to be careful about when you engage in physical activity because afterwards you know you've only got a certain amount of calories and now mm. that's going right um idea yeah, that's an interesting idea 
it does make sense that obviously after a prolonged period of fasting and it's like you know sort of all battle stations ahead like one last gasp like one last uh Literally. attempt at yeah. like hunting let's put all the you know all the energy resources into the muscles this is what i mean then it stops going to your brain so all of a sudden you're just like an absolute crazy rabid person trying to like yeah you know, eat anything that moves uh, it wouldn't become more animalistic yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me if you end up in that mode. Like, it would make yeah. sense. Evolutionary is like the full-on, full defense mode. Like, this, you need to survive. Um, yeah, you're not allowed to think anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just, no, no, no. Because uh, yeah. think about it. One of the no, brains are yeah, the most it, it like, uh, energy expensive parts 20% of the body, right? of our, Exactly. Of our so energy, it might yeah. as well just shut off that prefrontal cortex because it doesn't need that to to um to breathe to 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 move your muscles right it's just like let's yeah. remove any sort of like constraint you had around society and let's sort yourself out and it, that i don't know i've yeah. never been in the situation where I'm around people who've been starved for like 20 days but i reckon it's <laughs> yeah. <trying> to pretty <laughs> quick <laughs> yeah bloody um, yeah that's true that's uh, so, yeah uh Okay, I, and then I made a note here about, you know, as you read this text, you're using approximately 60 calories per hour, equivalent to energy in a typical orange. And this is this is tending to various bodily functions, such as your brain, liver, muscles, kidneys, intestines, and more. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's that it. is, I think it just is really interesting to, you know, to understand your basal metabolic rate, your resting metabolic rate, and your active metabolic rate, right? Because it just goes to show, like, if you understand how much you, you burn when you're asleep, while you're sedentary, mm. and then while I, you're I, active, I just think gives you a better yeah. overall amount, right? Um, I think what's quite interesting here is obviously everybody talks about this idea <clears> that, you know, people who are thinner have higher metabolisms. And this is basically like, it, it kind of makes sense that somebody who could just take more energy obviously doesn't put on weight as easy, you know, because they're constantly burning mm. all, all their resources. They're like a firecracker, like all the time, they're just constantly churning through resources. Um, and yeah, I'm just thinking about there, this, there like... must be massive variation because, sorry, uh, you know the bit on the sleep, which I'll get onto in a minute, how he talks about yeah. this massive variation within humanity of sleeping patterns. There must be mm. massive variety on metabolic rates within humanity. And I find it yeah. so weird how we still do this medicalization, where it's like, we've talked about it before, like personalized medicine. Like it makes sense yeah. to have different dosages and different requirements for different people because their bodies are just different. There is so much yeah. variety within humanity itself. It's impossible to just be like, oh, this one size fits all. You should get 10,000 steps. Yeah. But if you're a bloody yeah. metabolic firecracker, like you're literally burning so much energy, you don't need to. <laughs> Some people yeah. literally are lucky enough. They probably don't need to do that. They'll probably be fine as is because they just yeah. burn so much fucking energy all the time. And then the opposite this- is people who, you know, don't, who don't have that yeah um but this is what i I found interesting like so does that mean then if like let's say someone is burning through loads of calories does that mean that they their processes or whatever you know mechanisms require it during sleep whereas other people who don't uh, who are maybe larger or don't have as good of a basal metabolic rate just don't require burning that stuff that's what i find quite interesting because it's it's almost like a two sides of the coin right Pete, my in, uh, interest, and I think actually people are listening. We're going to go on to some of the stuff like metabolical, which is to do with like how our processed foods are metabolized by our bodies. But I would love to read a book on metabolism as well, and just you know yeah. understand the most recent and latest science on like how that all works. Yeah. Um, so we definitely had to find something off the back of this for it because I think it's super interesting. I mean, like you said, yeah. even just understand what your basal metabolic rate like. You know, we get given these like average. This is how many calories you have, have should have a day. This is how many protein you should have a day. But it's like, well, it really depends on your body, right? Like, 
if my if my basal metabolic rate or like my base is just way higher than somebody else's i need to eat more and you know i, I feel like me and you probably have something along those lines because we we struggle to put weight to some degree and i, I think with yeah. age obviously that changes um but there, there's got to be something there and I, i'd just be interested to know for myself just you know it, because it then then it's also like well, do your genes dictate how much metabolism is required for the processes in place? Yeah. Right. How many calories are required? Mm. Like if you have a different variation of a certain gene, will that mean that you need to burn more or less calories for whatever that gene is responsible for? Right. I'm it's, trying to remember if there is a point in this book where he talks about it, but there are, it could have been in the sports gene, but he talks about this idea that we actually have a a total amount of energy that we should use a day. I don't know if it is this book, a constrained energy expenditure. It's like a theory that actually we have like a range that we spend. And even if we work out, we basically, like we were still talking earlier, our body adapts. So if we work out and expend loads more calories, our body, our body would just shut off calories from another area and give it to this one. Um, yeah, yeah. And then basically the point being, we actually only ever burn a certain, like there is a range of calories that we burn a day, no matter what, we'll just stop doing other bodily processes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was quite an interesting idea, which basically means we don't have an unlimited supply of calories, you know, because if you think about it, if you no, just yeah. properly went at it, you, there's got to be an upper range. Um, I can't remember if it's this book or the sports gene, but we'll, we'll get onto it in, in a, if it is later in this, uh, in this book. Yeah. Yeah. So the the next note is actually what we were just talking about, so this idea of the calorie trade-off. So it is important to understand the trade-offs between being inactive and active. Uh, and our fundamental concept to keep in mind is that a calorie can only be spent once. There are only five ways in which a calorie can be utilized to grow your body, maintain your body uh, during resting metabolism, store energy as fat, engage in physical activity, or reproduce. I have no idea how true that is, but let's just take that as a rough framework for now. Um, the way in which your body divides and prioritizes these functions is determined by various factors such as age and energetic circumstances. If you're still in the growing stage, it is likely that you won't have enough energy to reproduce, which is why animals generally start having offspring only after they have completed their growth phase, which makes, which I thought was really fascinating how obviously yeah. genes based upon your age dictate the choices of where your body sends resources. And it kind of makes sense from, um, you know, like a muscle growth perspective, you send signals by obviously lifting heavy weights, tearing the muscles, which then tell your body, Hey, look at me. I need you to send me resources because I'm, you know, I'm fucked. I'm, I've, I've been worked out. Yeah. I'm struggling. Um, and that's essentially, I guess how your body works, right? It's just signaling. It's all about like, is it away from the, the balance center? It was before, like is a signal. Like, I guess, you know, for example, I guess when you're running, it's like, Oh, we're low in oxygen signal for breathe quicker signal. For yeah. yeah stop muscles if that makes sense and that's like yeah. the decision framework i know this this is a random tangent but it's kind of interesting that like why don't we have like a method of aging based on metabolism rather than going around the sun once because okay. it almost seems like a I don't know. I get what you're saying. So instead of being like, you know, he's 18 yeah. years old, it's like he's finally hit that metabolic age where he's now not in puberty. Like, because you, you can argue, right? Which, which means that then stage, there's probably right? like, like a hormonal yeah, stage. Which means right? that there's probably you're a spectrum. Right. Yeah. I, um, I, I think you're onto something there where you could literally. So obviously, you have this period called like adolescence, right? Puberty. That is technically in my head a, a period where hormones are high, right? So that's a period you could classify yeah. as different to other stages of being. And then you could probably do the same as like the early 20s. And you're probably right. You could definitely categorize. And I'm sure there must be somebody who's done something similar to this where you can categorize life based yeah. upon like your body 
decision matrix, so to speak. Like, well, I, I what remember is your him talking what is your body's it. priorities, right? Yeah, and I remember him like mentioning it later. There's like a meta, or maybe it wasn't, but you can have like a metabolic age um, based yeah. on like yeah. numerous factors. But like, yeah. Uh, no, it was just a random tangent, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Um, it's meant to slow down your metabolism over time, right? It's meant to be like you're meant to put on. So obviously, I guess yeah. people say, I don't know if this how true this is, but anecdotally, people say it's easier to put on weight as you get older. And I'm wondering if that's because your metabolism slows or because your metabolism um, uh, prioritizes fat storage. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Is it is it because yeah, your yeah. metabolism is slower or is it because your body suddenly goes hang on a second, we're now in this period where, I don't know, it's more about survival. Let's just store more fat. Like, I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Or maybe yeah, because yeah. you're being said, maybe because you're being so sedentary, it's just sending signals like, okay, cool. Like, this is what we should be doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Imagine like meeting someone and like today they're like 40, tomorrow they're like 45 because they just sat on the couch for the whole day. and. <laughs> <laughs> So it's even, I think it is in this book as well that he does talk a lot about the link between uh, activity and um, aging because it's actually yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. interesting yeah, some yeah. of the the points on yeah. it. Um, I think that's enough from this this perspective on the on the calorie trade off. I don't yeah. think there's anything else there. So then on to the next stage. So is being lazy yeah. a good thing? So as you sit in a chair or lie in bed reading this, feeling guilty about being inactive, take comfort in the fact that your current state of physical stillness is a time-tested basic approach to sensibly conserve limited energy. Aside from youthful inclinations to play and other social factors, the inclination to avoid unnecessary physical activity has been a sensible adaptation for countless generations. In reality, in contrast to other animals, humans may have evolved to be particularly disinclined to exercise. I mean, look at the fact that the monkeys haven't created vacuum cleaners, you know. There is, yeah. there is definitely <laughs> something about humanity that likes yeah. to be lazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, and I, I don't know, the next part uh, on the notes here about the word sloth, I thought was quite interesting. It was just more the or- the origins of the word sloth and how it's become to, you know, come to mean lazy and how it actually had yeah. spiritual connotations of like, of negativity. And actually it's, yeah. you know, we, we've made lazy, laziness a negative phrase when in reality it can actually yeah. be useful. I mean, some people still look at spin it positively, don't they? Like if I have a job that takes ages, I give it to a lazy person because they figure it out and solve it if that makes yeah. sense it's like if i have yeah, a job yeah. that's really long-winded give it somebody's lazy and he'll come up with a solution that makes it easy to do um yeah but yeah <laughs> that's funny we are just so like i'm even just i'm just thinking about like technology now that is just you know for instance now you can be like amazon turn on the light oh no alexa turn on the light like you don't even have to move anymore to do so many things yeah funny yeah i try my best to um i mean another one example would be like escalators and lifts like for yeah. fuck's sake it's just stairs like oh my god we could all go, oh like god, if you think yeah. about it if you literally think Ridiculous. about it we could all we could all go down these stairs but yeah. why have we chosen to do that because we're fucking lazy like there is no other purpose for it if you think about it it evolved yeah. i mean maybe you could say it's for people who like really do struggle with weight or, something or disabilities but then you have disabled lifts for that if you really think about it there is no sole purpose for that other than the fact that we're fucking lazy and we can't be bothered to take the steps like, yes, I mean, unless is. you could propose me another reason. Of why, why like, I guess you could say like carrying a bag, but then you've got lifts, yeah, but, right? So, but also don't buy yeah. so, something so heavy. I mean, fair enough if it's like something huge, but I don't know that most people are on it. Don't have a fucking bag. 
Oh, no, like so, I'm, I'm so in London. Like, like everyone, yeah. everyone just waits. I've never, I've never been someone to wait on an escalator. I actually hate it. So I just walk, the, walk up them. But like everyone does it, and I'm like, even if all of you just happen to walk at the same time, you wouldn't even have to go like at a fast rate or anything. You're just like slowly going up. Yeah. I mean, to, to, the funny thing is, when <clears> forced <throat> to walk, people will. So when yeah. there isn't an elevator people will walk up the stairs that's the nudge there is one they choose it but it you know i haven't i I take i mean i can't i can't sit here and claim i don't take them i do i but like if you look at it a bit like the treadmill from a perspective of like why does this even exist you realize it's because we're just trying to save energy we're trying to save (laughs) the 20 steps of energy twice a day you know it's it's crazy um, and once again, that, d- that definitely links back to this idea that, you know, humans are inherently lazy. The fact that we've created a contraption and spend money maintaining it when you could be much cheaper to just have concrete slabs. Which people yeah. Just step yeah. Um, and you pay that with taxpayer money as well. So good to know. We aren't, yeah, we aren't, uh, considering we know that, you know, like we evolved to be, fi- oh, well, I guess the myths don't, but like, you know, we, we evolved to be physically active. We've now designed a society where we aren't physically active. Like our society doesn't promote it. Like even take the, like, it's a bit of a side, a side tangent, but like think about during COVID, right? None of it was like, oh, you need to go out and get some exercise to try and prevent getting ill. In, or even no. after COVID, it's not like there was a big emphasis on like, okay, it turns out we've got a really unhealthy population here. A third of them are obese. We need to be, you know, a lot more physically active. You, you don't get that. Um, no, and you won't, it's, it was no, yeah, that wasn't the question, was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so moving on to chapter three, sitting. Uh, oh, sitting is the new smoking. So the myth is sitting is intrinsically unhealthy. So to fully grasp how our bodies have evolved to adapt to physical um, inactivity and activity, it is essential to comprehend the significance of sitting. If our bodies have developed to avoid unnecessary physical activity, including exercise, then how can sitting have such detrimental effects? Additionally, is it accurate that the average American spends 13 hours a day sitting? And how does this compare to sitting uh, to the sitting habits of our ancestors? While standing may require more energy than sitting, the practice of sitting for extended periods um, extended periods is a widespread habit among humans and other animals due to the long-term benefits of energy conservation. Historically, people sat on the ground without the use of chairs as furniture was not commonly as Furniture was not commonly used by hunter-gatherers. Today, many individuals in non-Western cultures continue to sit on the ground regularly. Um, See, yeah, I, I didn't kind of take any notes from this chapter. Um, but the, yeah, with the, with the cross-comparison with the hunter-gatherers in this in this um, chapter, it was basically saying that they, you know, they spend a decent amount of their time sat down. And also, yeah. it, it didn't mention anything about their posture. I think you obviously came, there were some bits where it talked about it, but they had a bit more active sitting um yeah but, so but in general like, like squatting and and because yeah. there wasn't any like um support I, by the way i yeah i was gonna say i do think that is a big uh, problem with with the way we sit currently <clears throat> i i i think it's amazing to see how many people can't do a squat even mm. with their body weight just because yeah. like we haven't if you think about it it's crazy i don't i don't know what muscles you must use i'm gonna try and sit down now but like when they stand up people just don't seem to be using their ass muscles to pick themselves up i don't know what they do yeah because people don't seem to have the leg muscles for it. Because I, mate, to be fair, until I started uh, training legs, 
and which was, I don't know, about a couple of months, like six months ago now, my legs were so weak. I used to struggle to even do one with my body. I couldn't even yeah, balance yeah, yeah. So I don't know what yeah. it is that causes us to do it. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think the the interesting thing about, like there were a few things that I took from this chapter. So one was that like, you know, when we're not active, well, there are health concerns. So there's a point here which is, which says prolonged sitting can raise three significant health concerns that are interrelated. The first is the lack of physical activity. When sitting for long hours, we are not engaging in any form of exercise or activity. The second concern is that extended periods of inactivity can increase the levels of sugar and fat in the bloodstream, which can be harmful to our health. Finally, the most alarming risk of prolonged sitting is the potential for our immune system to attack our bodies, which can lead to inflammation. And I thought that was interesting. Like, obviously, it's not going to, you know, if I sit down for an hour, you know, my body's not suddenly going to cave in on itself. But it is interesting that if we sit for long periods of time, uh, long periods of the day, day after day, then essentially those those three um, factors are going to be like contributing to ill health. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And the second point was that realistically it's not that sitting causes bad posture but that we're never engaging the muscles that should be responsible for uh, like for being able to get like hold good posture right so like we uh, you think about like muscular endurance you know a lot of the time if we're like you know like we said that hunter gatherers squat so they're engaging their legs they're engaging their lower back their glutes a lot and so those things, if they were to sit in a chair, they'd probably be able to sit in there a lot longer before they get a bit of back pain because there's muscular, they have a lot of muscular yeah. endurance to those muscles that are responsible for allowing them to sit down. I'm um, starting to wonder because obviously, you know, we've recently talked, uh, we've spoken personally about this idea of, you know, like running correctly and obviously engaging the right muscles when we run. I, I just literally yeah. just been standing now and thinking, is there a correct way to stand? And that's going to sound really, really weird. But like, is like, I'm standing now, right? is tensing your bum slightly to like kind of like engage your core a bit more because uh, like i don't know why whenever i feel like a, i see a chimpanzee standing i see them sort of like standing almost with their like yeah. like hips thrusted forward with their ass clenched i don't i don't know whether it's that but that's but that's because they got me into it um but i just i just <clears> wonder if there's like a better way to stand which engages your muscles in a way that keeps correct posture does that make sense instead of like you know because i like shift from hip to hip to obviously for comfort reasons and possibly endurance or whatever but yeah. i'm just wondering now if i like if i slight because I, I feel stronger as soon as i engage my glutes i feel like i'm standing and my back's just my shoulders have gone back immediately so i'm just wondering obviously this this wasn't covered in the book but there might be a correct way to stand or like a, a better way to stand well so yes and no so like <clears throat> i think one of the points that he was mentioning is that like you know um uh, because of our, because of the way that we're designed, we can stand for a long period of time without, um, without burning, ca- well, without burning too much, without tiring, yeah. right? The same thing with walking. We've, de- we've been designed to be able it's to do that. bipedal, isn't and it? Ex- yeah. yeah, and expel less energy. Whereas like, uh, so with chimps, because of the way that their pelvis is literally designed, it means oh, yes, that they no, have to engage yeah. more muscles and then they get tired. So I think the correct well, lives, standing, yeah, the whole body, isn't it? Because like when they walk, so obviously walking on four four legs and arms, they just yeah. they have to use everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think for standing, then or walking, the probably most correct way is the least exerting in a weird way, right? If your if your skeleton guess, is like okay. in in because if you're engaging too but much, in that case, it would have to be more be direct. Burned in my head, the more like straight on you are, the less muscle you have yeah, because you're like probably, putting yeah. everything through like the most stable 
steel part, right? Like the moment I start going onto one leg at a time, I'm placing all the stress of my body weight through one. So in my head, yeah. the best pose would then be a way that like puts Your all skeleton the points is through, like, like, in... yeah, through the strongest part, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. We just on a God of an absolute tangent here. We'll come back <laughs> to the activity of the chimpanzees. I think we'll finish the chapter off with that. Um, but yeah, so this part I thought was really interesting. So a 15 year study that involved over 10,000 Danish individuals did not establish any link between the time spent sitting at work and heart disease. Similarly, a larger study of 66,000 middle-aged Japanese office workers also produced similar findings. These studies indicate that mortality is more accurately predicted by the duration of sitting during leisure time. So that implies that factors such as socioeconomic status and exercising routines during mornings, evenings and weekends have significant health implications that surpass the amount of time spent sitting at work during weekdays. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. How yeah, actually absolutely. sitting in leisure time is more important than sitting at work. But I guess it's just, yeah. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. Like when you're not sitting, what are you doing? If you're doing more sitting, obviously it's going to be bad for you, right? It's that's, yeah. it's just semantics at that point, right? It's just like, yeah, yeah. are you doing other stuff other than sitting all the time? That's kind of the way I see that, you know? Yeah. Um, no, and obviously, are you working out, et cetera? But I thought it was quite interesting how, um, you know, there's actually been some research done on, on a large or like a decent amount of population of office workers, which shows that actually there isn't a massive link between the two. Um, yeah. So there might be a, some sort of argument here that, you know, a sedentary lifestyle is fine. Sitting is fine. But obviously, once again, too much is bad. And therefore, it's like yeah. when you're not being forced to sit, if you're still sitting, you're going to run into some problems. Yeah. Um, and you need to kind of counteract that by doing some form of physical activity. Yeah, some form of physical activity. Yeah, 100%. And then yeah. I thought this bit was quite interesting as well, because obviously I've been... I used to go to the chiropractor and everything and I've been taught, you know, posture on chairs is like the biggest cause for like back problems. But here we go. Yeah. So the notion that slouching in chairs causes back pain is not supported by scientific evidence. People without chairs commonly adopt postures that are comfortable and don't slouch. Furthermore, numerous meta-analyses and systematic reviews have been conducted on the relationship between sitting posture and back pain. And high-quality studies have consistently failed to find a link between habitual sitting in flexed or slouched postures and back pain. In fact, there is no good evidence to support the idea that sitting for long periods or using special chairs increases the risk of back pain. The best predictor of avoiding back pain is having a strong lower back muscle, uh, yeah, lower exactly. back, but muscles that are resistant to fatigue. People with strong fatigue-resistant backs are more likely to have a better posture, which can help prevent back pain. And I thought that was pretty fascinating because i don't know yeah I thought that was i've always really been drilled into me um once again i haven't seen these studies we're taking daniel lieberman's word for it here um we like to trust that he's done he's done what he's claimed here which is like read the sort of systematic re reviews and stuff um <laughs> but it's nice to sort of see that actually some of the common beliefs around that could be you know one wrong and two actually one of the best ways to sort of fix bad posture is just you know exercising yeah. your back um which I yeah, think absolutely. I think it. I think it makes a lot of sense because I was thinking about this. Was it today or yesterday or something? That like you know, recently, obviously, we've been watching those um, podcasts with Andy Galpin and Andrew Huberman, and you know the different protocols of health. But we, I was thinking about this. We essentially evolved to have explosive power and muscular endurance and endurance, but like in terms of like mus muscular wise. 
I think a lot of it's to do with muscular endurance because we wouldn't be lifting a lot of heavy things, but we would be lifting some heavy things over a long period. Right. Okay. And that, yeah. and so a lot of it is to do with muscular endurance rather than like how much weight can I lift right now? Um, and I just thought like it, it ties in well with this, this idea that our muscles, you know, they need to, if hunter gatherers are probably engaging in a lot of physical activity all the time. And so they're able to withstand a lot of stress on their muscles for a long period of time. Um, mm-hmm. Hence why like this makes a lot of sense. I find with the whole, like if you've got a stronger lower back, better muscular endurance in your back especially yeah, fatigue resistance to hold yeah. a position for a long time um yeah for yeah. sure no it just it does make sense um and yeah so to finish this chapter off we're going to go back to the chimpanzees so on average adult male and female chimpanzees spend nearly 87 percent of their daring uh, of their day engaged in sedentary activities like grooming resting feeding and nesting so during a 12-hour day chimpanzees are physically active for almost 10.5 hours Oh, sorry, physically inactive, that's important, for almost 10.5 hours, with the most active days consisting of about eight hours of rest and the least active days consisting of over 11 hours of rest. After building their nest, they sleep for approximately 12 hours until sunrise. Compared to wild chimps, even the most sedentary American couch potatoes are significantly more active if being... uh, Yeah, sorry, that'll do. Um, But I thought that was just like a really interesting... Uh, you know, cross comparison, like you know, yeah, absolutely. Oh, these guys are so these guys are so lazy, but these bloody chimps are sleeping twelve hour days and having eight point yeah. five hours of just ch- just chilling. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. just nuts. No, it's it, it, I think I think a key it's thing in, yeah. that you need to take away from the book is just that, like you know, we evolved for a function for a purpose, right? All of our bodily systems have evolved to serve that purpose, and whatever that purpose is, you know, it's different for each animal. I think, like, I think, like cats, they sleep a ridiculous amount of time during the day. Ooh, like, yeah. it's like and twelve. Then, plus I know another hours. one is dolphins. So, you see the dolphins; they like they can like semi sleep no. and be awake. I don't know if you saw that. Part oh yeah, no, I'm aware. The yeah. part where it's like they like semi sleep, semi awake, and I thought it was quite like they yeah. shut off areas of their brain to like sleep as they. But like we yeah. do that, we micro sleep, don't we? Or some, I guess we're totally out, but. Remember when you were talking about like micro sleep, but I don't think you're fully yeah, conscious, no. right? You're just you're fully unconscious just for like ten seconds and you're back. Um, you're so yeah. sleep deprived. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, no, it just goes to show that like, you know, depending on so all the like processes responsible, you know, cats might have a different digestive tract and might require a lot more time to digest things. Cows have three stomachs, so you know, they have to they can digest certain foods that we can't. So it all goes to like it all adds to you know why we've di- why we've evolved in this. Yeah, I mean way. we've got to say like why dogs. We, like we, we don't have tongues that can like hook up water because we don't have yeah, to drink exactly. from like pond. Exactly. Like, yeah, just it's just interesting. So all of it goes to explain why we engage in certain levels of physical activity and why we are sedentary for some of the day as well. Um, like think about lions, like they just look like they're lounging around all the fucking time, like having, you know, the best life. And then the, <laughs> the female lions just go off, bring them food. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But um, yeah, because they probably need to save up all their calories because they're, they're in a dominant hierarchy and they um, fight it. each other. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so on to chapter four. So sleep, why stress thwarts rest? And the myth number four is you need eight hours of sleep every night. So the myth of eight hours, 
In the modern world, we tend to medicalize certain behaviors by prescribing specific doses, such as a minimum of 150 me- uh, minutes of physical activity per week, 25 grams of fiber per day, and eight hours of sleep per night. However, it is unclear when and where the recommendations of eight hours of sleep per night originated. Patterns of sleep. So a quick observation would show that there is no uniform sleeping pattern among the hu- among humans or mammals. Donkeys only sleep for two hours a day, while armadillos sleep for as long That's as crazy, 20 hours a day. That That's is nuts, crazy. right? Two so hours a why day. Why did you even evolve? Why, why would you even I, evolve? Well, technically, <laughs> donk- donkeys didn't evolve, didn't, did they? I thought they were like a mix between like a... Wait, am, <laughs> I, am, I, am, I, am I dumb to think this? Because they're, they're not... Um, what's the word? They're not fertile, right? No, you're thinking mules. That's if a horse has oh, that's sex. It. With that's, a that's, that's a horse and yeah. a donkey have sex. Yeah, cool. Okay, yeah. Continue. yeah. But two hours no, I was more meaning like an armadillo sleeping 20 hours of the day. Like, why are you even alive? Like, by the time that you wake up, it's time to go back to bed again. Like, <laughs> what is the point of your. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it seems harsh, you but you know. Like... You sketch about that, like an animated comedy. It's <laughs> like, oh, oh, back to sleep then. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Morning, Barry. <laughs> oh, God. Good night's sleep. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> See you You've tomorrow. evolved just to have a basal <laughs> m- metabolic rate. That's it. It's like, oh, oh God. God. Um, anyway, so uh, while some animals like giraffes take f- um, frequent naps, other species have uninterrupted sleep. A few large animals, such as elephants, can nap while standing up. Moreover, some marine mammals, such as the ones that Jess talked about earlier on with, in terms of the <laughs> dolphins and whales, have evolved the ability to put half of their brain to sleep while swimming. On that note, do you, do you want to know something crazy? Oh, actually, I think it was in Why We Sleep, but basically some birds, they all um, sit together when they sleep, okay? And the ones on the outside will shut down the hemisphere of their brain that isn't responsible for their outturning eye. So the eye that is on the outside of, of the, uh, of the birds. So each side, so the bird on each end has their oh, eye shit. open, right? But the oh, other shit. hemisphere is asleep. Well, what are the ones and then, what, asleep? So they're asleep. And then what happens okay, is the <laughs> ones on just... the end, they swap position and then they uh, they sleep the other the, the other hemisphere. It's, goes to sleep. it's amazing how they've been how calibrated to like to do like to have a perception in unity, like in, in the fact that they know their role is to take the yeah. sides, then cover the group. I just don't understand how yeah. it works, but fair enough. It's pretty. Maybe they just flip around. Maybe they don't move. But like they just I don't know. But, that, but that's even true, so, that's like that's crazy. nuts, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, anyway, I really I, like I, this, um, <laughs> this 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 point about this like diversity though, like it because yeah, just from because. It gives us a little, like, I'm not going to say antidote, but, like, a, a different opinion from why we sleep. Because, obviously, like, why we sleep literally, like, hammered home how important sleep was, linked it with, like, you know, every single disease under the sun and basically said the reason why we're dying from all these things is because of our lack of sleep, right? And I, I remember seeing somebody try and debunk him and say, like, this is where he's going wrong with all his... I don't know if I sent it to you. I think I did ages ago. Yeah, no, I remember, um, yeah. Basically saying he was completely overstating... And obviously there's this classic idea of like, you know, correlation and causation just because there's a correlation doesn't mean it's caused it. Um, and I yeah. quite liked how this guy takes a bit more of a balanced approach because I've, I've become kind of not obsessed, but I'm sure you're the same with this aura ring and, you know, tracking my daily sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get really annoyed when I get less than seven, like seven for me is like the, the point I like yeah, I should no, be I'm getting saying. seven no matter what. And there's just times where, you know, you just wake up and you're like, I'm awake. I don't know if you ever get that. And it's been like, and you might've even had like five hours sleep, but it's like, yeah. I am awake. And there comes a point, I think where you actually have to just trust the feelings of your body. 
and like if you feel like you're awake you wake up um yeah because i'm sure but to be honest i'm sure most people don't have the problems we do because one they're not tracking their sleep and they that for them that self-explanatory is like i feel awake i'm gonna wake up but with us we've done we've fallen for this classic like the point he was making there like the medicalization Mm -hmm. of things we have like now dosages which we think we have to hit all the time to be like optimal so to speak um But the reality no, it's, of it is, it's, it's, is, is a bit more complicated, you know? It is really interesting. I actually have a thing on my notion where I described or I, I state whether there's a discrepancy between how I feel and what my aura ring oh, no. actually tells me because I find that a lot of the time, like most of the time it's fine, it's accurate. It's like, okay, I feel good. I got whatever amount of sleep. But actually the main thing I kind of look at it for is just when I fall asleep. Yeah, and then no, I just, sure just want to know when time, I fall right? asleep and then I can like gauge, right? Um, yeah i'll tell you something which you should be it's like it's like the classic isn't it so the classic like reductionist view so i guess an example would be here like you know i think what you're saying here um 25 grams of fiber okay there's a difference between 25 five grams of fiber through vegetables be 25 grams of fiber through cereals which are high in sugar right it's the same thing with sleep i've had seven hours sleep fantastic but actually if you look at my my you know sleeping pattern i was awake 20 times during the night i was in bed for nine hours you know my sleep was shit like i barely like it's like looking at one metric and forgetting that actually there's more to it and it kind of reminded me there's a bit in the sports scene which we'll talk about next where he's like people have become obsessed with genetics now right where they're literally like look for genes to be like is my son gonna be into the world because he has this sprinting gene and he's like do you know what? Just get a fucking stopwatch and time him run. And if he beats most of the other yeah. kids, he's probably going to be pretty quick. And like, he's like, we've, we've become so obsessed with these like minuscule, like optimization things. We forget that actually sometimes yeah. the best thing is just like the, the common sense called approach to it. So it's like, do I feel good from sleeping? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I slept well. And is he quick when he runs? Yes. Okay. It doesn't matter if he has the sprinting gene or not. He's fucking rapid. Like it's, yeah. it's not self-explanatory. And I think sometimes you make it and like, I um, mean, the same with food, I guess it's like, fine make sure you eat under 1000 or 2000 calories a day but one person's eating mcdonald's and eating 1800 calories and one of them's eating purely veg you're just like yeah. well, there's obviously a bloody difference just because you have the same number doesn't mean there's like nothing different between the two yeah um, i think sometimes we no, forget exactly the context we hone in on certain parameters um, yeah. absolutely uh okay so moving on so the reality is that most biological processes are extremely diverse and sleep is not an exception to this due to variations in circadian rhythm and the mechanisms that control wakefulness and sleepiness um sleepiness sleeping patterns in humans are just as diverse as they are in other mammals or animals sorry um So the absence of a consistent sleep pattern applies to populations living in areas with electric lights, such as New York and Tokyo, as well as those living without electricity in the African savannah or Amazonian rainforest. Anthropologist David Sampson's 20-day study of 22 Hatsa hunter-gatherers revealed a wide range of sleep activity, with with someone in the camp awake at different times. Based on this, Samson estimated that someone has uh, someone was awake for all but 18 minutes per night. Such variations in sleep patterns um, is probably adaptive from an evolutionary standpoint, given that we are most vulnerable when asleep at night. Having at least one watchful um, sentinel, usually an older individual, would have reduced the risks of sleeping in a world full of leopards, lions, and other humans who could harm us. Um, and I thought, you know, like... Yeah. It, it is a good point. And I remember like 
he kind of touched on it in why we sleep, but this idea that, and I always thought this, you know, how teens don't or sleep later, but, um, mm. but they wake up later. And it's almost like there has to be certain cohorts of people that don't yeah, suit, like, you know, we have, we have morning, morning larks and night owls. Right. And it's like, so those people will be going from to an standpoint, It makes sense away. that these people overlap, right. Cause then they can keep guard, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. You need yeah, actually, it, would, it would make sense to program variation into people and to program some people to be like, so you know how there's that classic argument of like, um, once the sunlight goes down, you become more tired because a certain hormone builds up. I think it might be melatonin probably butchered. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but then some people aren't sent are like unsensitive to it, which would make sense for the people who are going to stay up late. Yeah. And then, you know, take watch. Cause if everybody got really sleepy, then nobody would be able to stay awake. Sucks, so yeah. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. You have variation within those genes to do that. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. So, and then I, I thought this next point was quite interesting as well. So like the UCL, uh, UCLA sleep researcher, Jerome Siegel and his colleagues conducted a study that was particularly intriguing. They fitted wearable sensors on 10 Hadza hunter gatherers from Tanzania, 30 sand forager farmers from the Kalahari desert and 54 hunter farmers from the Amazon rainforest in Bolivia none of whom had access to electricity, clocks, or the internet. Despite this, Siegel was surprised to discover that they slept less than industrialized people. During warmer months, these foragers slept for an average of 5.7 to 6.5 hours per day, and during colder months, they slept for an average of 6.6 to 7.1 hours per night. Furthermore, they seldom took naps. And I just thought that was interesting because we've been, yeah. we've been sort of told to believe that, you know, we're having this, like, lack of sleep epidemic. Um mm. And you know we 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 don't sleep enough. I personally think, from my my experience with sleep, I think what it does is it fucks the quality of your sleep rather than the length. That's what I've noticed yeah. with uh, technology. Like yeah. I, I I'm getting the times right with my sleeping. Like I'm getting mostly my seven hours or whatever. But I yeah. find sometimes I'm still tired, and I'm there has to be there's a level of restfulness. Like um. I don't sleep well at night and in my head yeah. there's only one real sort of thing is this idea of the sort of lights coming in before bedtime etc right so I think that's the yeah. big problem it's more the like for example there they've, they've done a good thing to like measure their length of sleep but it still doesn't take into account the quality of their sleep they probably slept yeah. really well for six hours and that's why they're like you know fantastic whereas some people yeah you know I could sleep for six hours and if it's a terrible night's sleep as well I'm, I'm in trouble um yeah yeah no it's true um I, I yeah I have I, like because there have been numerous times where I've slept for like six hours and I feel fucking great. Sometimes better than I when I've slept eight hours, and it is just I I would yeah, love to know. There's no, there's no to, rhyme or reason sometimes with it, right? Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's part of the bit that bothers me. There's no like, yeah, you're right. Some days I look at it, I'll be like, oh my god, I only got five hours and a half, but I'm feeling so fresh and ready yeah. to go. And then some days I get like eight hours, I'm like, oh wow, smashed it, but I'm like so lethargic. I'm just like what. What have I done to myself? Have I slept too much? And, and, and then there was and that's in the, the past, like, I used to, be able to sleep like ten hours. I remember times yeah. when I used to be able to sleep forever, and now I can't. I don't know about you, but I just I can't get past like. I've, I've never been someone who can really like sleep in, but I yeah. just I find what is difficult is like you try if let's say you have like a really good night's sleep or a really bad night's sleep and you try and figure out why and there's just so many fucking factors. It's like oh, did I eat? too late did i exercise too late when did i exercise did i exercise at all like you know what foods did i eat do they like no, noises that you didn't, sleep or not? Noise like that noise, up, yeah. you didn't realize because you because you obviously weren't conscious when the noise was made 
uh, sleeping yeah. with a partner as well, like them, like potentially moving, moving, like then you move and you wake up. Yeah, There's so many different, you know, uh, so many. Um, um, yeah. So I'll read this uh, at this point here. So the uncomfortable sleeping of the past. So the disorderly sleeping conditions of the Stone Age may seem counterproductive to a good night's sleep from a modern perspective. But anthropologist Carol Worthman suggests that the opposite could be as true. As we begin to enter the initial stages of NREM sleep, our awareness of the environment gradually decreases. This process of gradually tuning out might be beneficial because our brain is monitoring our surrounding as we fall asleep, potentially to elevate if it is safe to sleep, uh, evaluate if it is um, if it is safe to sleep, the slow disappearance of sounds like um, like friends and family talking, a crackling fire, crying infants, and the fact that hyenas are far away signal to the brain that it is secure to enter deeper stages of unconscious sleep. Ironically, by insulting ourselves um, so effectively from these comforting stimuli, we may uh, be making ourselves more susceptible to experiencing sleep-related stress. Which is quite interesting, well, that, isn't it? It's an interesting perspective for sure. Like uh, once again, yeah. it's a very hard hypothesis to like test. Yeah, of course. But it kind of makes sense that um, you know, some form of noisy background would create this idea of like, I don't know. It gives you a backdrop to hear comfort. sounds, I guess, and, or comfort. Yeah, it's. I guess a lot of people like that sort of white noise to sleep, don't they, and stuff. So yeah, um, well, it's. I wonder if it like conveys rather than, an element of safety, right? Like if you know that people yeah, are around you. Mm. I just think in the past it was rare to ever find an area that was completely quiet as well, or like as quiet yeah, as the environments we find yeah. ourselves in today. Um, whether or not like that, I put on the nature sounds, sleep. you know. Yeah, yeah. I used to love like wet raining, like raining sounds. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Um, whether or not this is actually true, it's just like an interesting idea to ponder over because, uh, mm. you know, that the lot the evolutionary logic would make that the case if that makes sense but like how we yeah. you know, we were talking earlier about using logic of what would they do in the past it's similar to that it's like if this is the case and that would make sense um yeah but yeah so next we have um i thought it's quite interesting we we will just touch on it why not so the regulation of the sleeping system so Mm. Uh, the regulation of wakefulness and sleep involves two main biological processes that interact within the brain. Normally, these processes ensure that we wake up feeling refreshed in the morning, stay alert through the day, and fall asleep peacefully at night. But when they are disrupted, we may nap inappropriately, struggle to fall asleep at night, wake up too early, or experience sleepless nights. So the first process is our circadian rhythm. So this is a cycle that lasts about 24 hours and is regulated by a group of cells in the hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Chiasmatic nucleus, yeah. I've seen this, yeah. These cells stimulate the production of cortisol, a hormone that promotes wakefulness in the morning. And as night falls, the hypothalamus directs the pineal gland to produce melatonin, the hormone that induces sleep. Uh, the circadian rhythm is synchronized daily by env- environmental cues such as light, which can reset it gradually by about an hour per day. However, relying on solely on the circadian rhythm to regulate sleep would be problematic. For this reason, the regulation of our sleep-wake states is influenced by a second system that is closely tied to activity levels. And I thought this is quite interesting just because I haven't really <clears throat> heard of this secondary system before, and it would make sense that your body would give you a secondary sort of like, not like an override, but something else that would influence it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. This system is called the homeostatic system, which functions like an hourglass that measures how long we've been awake, gradually building up pressure for us to sleep. 
As we remain awake, the accumulation of molecules such as adenosine left behind when the brain uses energy increases our sleep pressure. When we sleep, particularly during NREM uh, yeah, sleep, we reset the hourglass. So the homeostatic uh, static system helps balance the time we spend awake versus asleep. And if you're awake for too long, it will eventually take over our circadian rhythm system and help us make up for lost sleep time. Um, if I remember correctly, I think it's adenosine that caffeine binds to inhibits. I don't know. If yes, you it's, a, it's, an ades- it's an adenosine blocker. Yeah, and that's why um, caffeine advise yeah. not to take it first thing in the morning. Caffeine. Um, yeah, because it stops that natural builder build up. Sorry, in fact, sorry, it doesn't stop the natural build up. It blocks your sensitivity to the build up to the build up, and then when it hits you, you're like, "Oh crap, I'm really tired." Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that's yeah, quite exactly. Like, it is. It is, it and it's like sense you, you your body would, you'd, you know clock how long you've been awake because otherwise you could without the other cues of light like let's just say you've, i don't know if you're living in a place which is light 20 20 hours of the day the melatonin is not going to kick in so you need something else which is just going to knock you out yeah yeah no that's a good point actually yeah. and i wonder yeah because like you know if you go um during when- winter or summer really far up north well then you do get pretty much sunlight 24 hours of the day um same mm. with like when it's in winter it's like you don't get any sun um god mm. it must be such a strange place to live in well there's places. not many people who live there naturally isn't it that's, yeah there's no i don't think so. there's something to be said for that yeah um okay so on to the next point so the sleep industrial complex so the sleep industry also known as the sleep industrial complex has taken advantage of people's concerns about their sleep persuading them to spend a considerable amount of money on various high-tech devices like noise cancelling headphones light blocking curtains and specialized mattresses Although these gadgets may seem amusing to our ancestors who slept on the ground, the excessive use of sleeping pills is a cause of full alarm. These highly addictive pills are multi-billion dollar industry and the number of prescriptions in the United States has increased more than threefold since 1998, not counting over-the-counter medications. While it's important to acknowledge that many people suffer from sleep deprivation and its negative consequences, we must also consider the evolutionary and anthropological context of sleep. Some people tend to exaggerate the extent to which modern sleep patterns are abnormal, similarly to how sitting has been demolished. demonized sorry this fear mongering can be profitable and our society has a tendency to judge physical activity and inactivity behaviors however both sitting and sleeping are natural and common behaviors that vary greatly based on environmental and cultural factors and have complex advantages and drawbacks and i think that's a good point like you know our culture does impact how much we think it is right to sleep or how we should sleep um and it's a, it's a good point, the whole like, you know, sleeping pill thing, because obviously, some, like they said, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And, you know, we have a sleep crisis, I would say, in the West. And it's funny that like, you know, going off your point that, you know, now now we that we use like Aura or we use Apple Fitness and it tells us how much we're getting. And if we're not getting it, then we're stressing about it. And so then we it's almost ironically creates another um a path towards you know seeking extra help or seeking i don't know sleeping pills um because we think that we're not getting the right sleep it's yeah but it, once again it's, it's another um classic example of like the the fact that science and medicalization provides anxiety because what it does is it gives you 
a one-stop shop for what you should be getting and then when you don't yeah. get it you feel anxious you know it's like yeah exactly the most, mm, op- exactly. most optimal amount you can get of sleep is eight hours and it has to be you know i, I remember why we sleep it was something like a certain percentage nrem a certain percentage rem and obviously all attracts that for you and i sometimes look at it and go jesus christ i didn't get any deep sleep last night and to be honest i usually feel it but it's this idea that i now feel for me it's rem yeah, but they, but like the point being, they've like they've convinced us as well that these things have these goalposts have to be hit like daily. Yeah, yeah. and then you feel anxious yeah. about it, and it's it's just interesting because by creating these benchmarks, they actually create a market for solutions that help people hit the benchmarks. Yeah, like they give you anxiety when you're not hitting them because they're like, no, exactly. If you're exactly. not hitting them, you're gonna like you're giving yourself health problems. But it's like, unfortunately, with just the way the world is, you're always gonna have variety, which is why your body has built-in systems that help balance it. Like the whole point of like the circadian rhythm and this other system is like tracking how long you've been awake. If I was really sleep deprived, I would be falling asleep because the adenosine would have built up so much and said to me, you can't function anymore. Fair enough. Some days I feel tired. Doesn't everybody. Some days I feel energetic. So does everybody else. You know, it's, it's part of the natural variation of life to a degree. Like I don't think you can ever fully, you know, control the factors which go into that. Because like you said, there's so many different things that can affect your sleep. Okay. yeah absolutely and, and you know the noise of, you can't control somebody driving past a bloody motorcycle outside your window you know like yeah. you can soundproof a room but you you're gonna go crazy like yeah no exactly and like you know these benchmarks that they like put forward they're deprived of context mm-hmm. right so you're saying that i need to get this percentage of rem every night while uh, for every every night that i'm alive i don't think so Ooh. right like it, it doesn't take into consideration context and so, yeah, um, I think it's one of those I things that they need to have like a, a, a part where they say, you know, these are the guidelines. If you hit these markers, you're probably going to be good. In fact, funny enough, the next point actually kind of hits on this, actually. So let's just go into it. So yeah, diagnosing yeah, yeah. your own sleep health. If you are unsure about your own sleep health, sleep researchers suggest you ask yourself <clears throat> these five simple questions. So are you satisfied with your sleep? Do you stay awake all day without dozing? Are you asleep between 2 and 4 a.m.? Do you spend less than 30 minutes awake at night? And do you get between 6 and 8 hours of sleep? And if you answer, uh, if your answers, sorry, to these questions are usually or always, then you should sleep contently knowing that you're generally getting enough sleep. And I think that's like a, you know, for me at least that was quite sobering because I was like, do you know what? In the grand scheme of things, I think I'm not getting the best sleep. But that's because some days I wake up tired yeah, but in the ground, like, am I feeling so tired that I can't do stuff? No, so it's just like, yeah. I'm just feeling some form of fatigue that's related to you know maybe not sleeping as well as I could have, and it's, but it's funny because these benchmarks that have been set now make us feel guilty or anxious for just I don't know for, for <laughs> just the natural variation of life, right? Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it this happens not just for like the sleep industrial complex, so to speak. It happens for all mar- like markets, really, to a degree. Even the medical markets, like we're saying, the medicalization of you know exercise and stuff. It's you should be having this many supplements a day. You should be getting this much vitamin D in your diet. You should get this much this like this percentage of potassium. Yeah. Little did they not say say to you that you know if you just eat a normal diet you tick all these boxes <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, no but yeah, instead yeah. you have to buy a, a vitamin supplement you know um yeah and yeah like yeah. it's anxi- anxiety generating by basically telling people this is what you should be doing 
it's like it's like it's like a law, isn't it? Like this is the work, this is what society should do, and then you feel anxious whenever you're anywhere apart from yeah. at that point. Well, they create a normal, and then if you're yeah. if you don't reach that, then yeah, like you said, it mm. creates a kind of and, well, and on that note because we're finishing up now, but. I'm excited for the rest of these fitness books because we're going to get into other stuff like good calories, bad calories, and talking about like the yeah. the reason why calories don't you know aren't the be all end all of fitness and nutrition as well. So I'm really excited to get into that too because yeah, it's been pretty eye opening this book. Um, and I think yeah, what I think it's been really good. Next, the next topics are part two is about speed, strength, and power. So we'll be discussing um, humanity's speed in comparison to other animals, as well as if we were born to be speedy or uh, high in endurance and why we can't mm-hmm. be both or if we can be both um and then we go more on to I'm trying to think what the, the next parts after that are strength. endurance isn't it and strength yes and aging um yep. so yeah we, we're probably only about a third of the way through this so if you enjoyed that like subscribe and we'll be doing the second one probably over the next week yeah looking forward to it that's a wrap sweet hey guys well there you have it we hope you enjoyed that book summary now we know it can be a lot to take in all at once so if you want to be able to read this in a more palatable size or you want to be able to implement any of those key actionable ideas that we were talking about in this episode head on over to our website at wisewords.blog where the book summary will be waiting for you. Also, don't forget to check out our socials as we consistently upload the key ideas, benefits and actionable ideas from all the books that we read. The links to those will be in the description below. Now, we want to be able to get you the best content in a way that's really easy to understand, but we need your help. Your opinion matters. So you are our feedback mechanism. And with those quick actions, whether that's leaving us a like or a dislike, commenting in the comment section below or subscribing to our channel all of those help us gauge what we're doing well and how to improve on our method of delivery so if you have any thoughts on the matter don't hesitate to act it takes less than 10 seconds and it really helps us out but with all that being said until next time stay wise